about you, but what we just did, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. You can feel the love of God in this place. You can feel his presence very strongly. Amen. That's what the church is all about. Sharpening one another, being confidized to one another. To some extent, you don't want to tell everything, but we're here for one another. Amen. So tonight, uh, we're going to go, well, tonight's topic is going to be the Old Testament as a whole. Uh, I just felt led that God wants to say some things about the Old Testament. Uh, as, as you can see in your lesson, there's no way you can, we can totally exhaust the Old Testament in one hour. It probably be, it's impossible. There's, there's more uh, probably words in the Old Testament combined than I'll probably speak in, in, in teaching right now. Um, probably. But I feel like God has many things he wants us to learn um, in the Old Testament. And basically the goal is to show the importance of the Old Testament. Uh, some people, they don't really care about the Old Testament. Like, I just want the New Testament. Give me a book of Acts and that's about it. Well, hey, now you got, you got the whole Old Testament. That's the foundation. Well, the Old Testament, there is no Acts. There is, there is no apostles. There is no churches in Ephesus and Galatians. There's none of that. The Old Testament is the beginning. It's the foundation. And so, uh, like I said, there's much information about the Old Testament. And this purpose is to give at least a working knowledge of the Old Testament um, and a desire to want to further study God's word privately or with others. So that's the focus, to have a working knowledge of the Old Testament and to have a desire to continue to study it, to study God's word on our own. And so, as you see, it says books, chapters, and verses, and there's some blanks here. So now we're going to have a little fun. Does anyone know how many books are in? Oh, bro, Sam, this, this is cheating. His hand's already up. <laughs> All right, how many books are in the Old Testament, bro, Sam? 39. He got it. So if you have a pen, it's 39. Yes. There you go. So he said the, the word old has three and the word testament has nine. And that's how you can remember that it has 39. Now, this is a little more complicated. Does anyone know how many chapters are in the Old Testament? A lot. Anyone, anyone want to take a guess? How many chapters? There's, there's 39 books. But how many chapters? Does anyone give a guess? Anyone? Don't Google it. Don't Google it. Anyone think? Anyone think? Five hundred? Is there five hundred chapters? Now there's more. You're very close. Yeah. There you go. Nine hundred twenty-nine. Ah. <laughs> so there's nine hundred twenty-nine chapters. Now you can say, that's a lot of chapters. <laughs> that's a lot. Now, lastly, does anyone know how many verses there are? This one I don't know if anyone will get without looking at Google. Yeah, that's for sure. There's 31,102 verses in the Old Testament. So that's just a little knowledge of the Old Testament on some statistics. So then we're, uh, we're going to kind of start and go into it. So I basically broke it down into a few uh, main categories by books. Um, some books I don't touch on, like Ruth, for example, or Esther, um, they're important. They're in the Bible. Um, but just to kind of give an overview, I, I sort of left information about those. Um, but again, this is to try to create a desire to want to study the God's word more. So first, we'll start at the very beginning. There's no cars. There's no clothes. There's no humans. There's nothing. There's not even light. It's, it's darkness. So God creates the heaven 
and the earth. Now, if the youth have been here, I try to talk to them about um, uh, like the Big Bang and stuff like this. You know how man tries to, we try to make, uh, make knowledge or understanding to explain what God has done. And so we try to fill that gap without going to God. We say, oh, this is what we found. This is what it is. There was a big bang, and nothing was there, and chaos came, and then, oh, explosion, and oh, and then this, and then we came from a little blob. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what happened. God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's word spoke. God said, I'm going to make man in my own image. He didn't evolve from some monkeys. Um, I heard one person say, if we evolved from monkeys, why is there still monkeys? Now, <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. That's a good question. And so first, God creates the heavens and the earth. God created everything. Sometimes we forget God created things. Wake up in the morning, get the clothes on, get to work, ooh, run late, get the coffee, run off. And we forget God created the sun. He created the moons. He created the beautiful sky that we see. He created everything. He created the food. He created the ground. And I can go on and on and on. And then God creates man first, and then God creates woman. And if you read after God created man and woman, it says, and it was very good. Um, after God, you know, did some creation on one day, he said, oh, it was good. But he said, oh, this is really good. I, I, made, I made this wonderful creation called man. And that was, in a sense, God's, uh, the apple of God's eye, in a sense. God made trees. They were nice. God made some water. He made a dry land appear. He made the sun, the moon, stars. He made everything. But he focused on man. That was, uh, his attention was on man. He met man every day. And then he said, ah, oh, I can't leave man alone. It's not good. So he created woman. So that's where we come from. Pretty simple, straightforward. God created man, then he created woman from the man. And that's a whole lesson in itself, the man and the woman, and you know, the relationship and uh, purpose of the man, purpose of the woman, purpose of them together with God. That's a whole nother lesson. But then it didn't take too long. I don't know how many years or days or seconds maybe or minutes. And then uh, mankind, we disobey God. Uh, first the woman uh, disobeys, and then the man disobeys God. So this happened because the serpent beguiled Eve. The serpent, which represents the devil, um, tricked Eve. He confused her, maybe you could say. Uh, he, he tricked her. And now we have the knowledge of good and evil because of that. So that's why we have, you could say, free will. But now we understand good and we understand evil because we ate of this fruit that God said not to eat of. So now we can judge like God could judge in a sense. And now we know. And so the serpent has set out to beguile us from the beginning. He has set out to trick us, to deceive us from the very beginning. And so beware of the beguiling of the serpent. It's not your nose. Um, beware of the beguiling of the trickery, of the confusion of the devil. Uh, the, uh, God says, try the spirits. See if they're of God or not. What do they say about Jesus? Do they say he's the son of God? They say he's God manifested in the flesh. What do they say about Jesus? Um, another thing we could do is know the truth. We're talking about the Old Testament. You got to know the truth. You got to understand the truth and then be wise. Um, and that's what Proverbs talks about. It says, hey, you can get wisdom, but with all you're getting, you better get some understanding. Um, and then it says knowledge of the holy is understanding. So knowledge of God and God's word, that's understanding. And also, we have to be alert. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, no seeking who may devour, and on and on. So we do have an adversary, and he's been trying to get at us from the very beginning, as soon as we were created. 
comes up to you, did God really say that? You don't got to listen to God. Oh, don't worry about that. You come to church, don't worry. Just read a chapter a day of your Bible. No, just read a verse of your Bible. Just read a word. You don't, you don't got to read your Bible. You don't have to study. And he comes in and slithers in. Oh, you don't got to do that. You don't got to wear that. You don't have to really do that. Did he really say that in his word? On and on and on. Next thing you know, we're just drifting away, drifting away. When God's word is very direct, it's very simple. Even a little child can understand God and repent and be baptized. Anyone can understand. It's very simple. So we have to beware of his beguiling because he's going to try. He tried from the very beginning, and it worked. And he's going to continue until God comes or we die, and we raise up when he comes. And so because of this, we were removed from the garden. Uh, we were away from meeting God in the garden. God said, you sin not, you have to go away. So that's kind of the story of, you can say, uh, God's redemption to try to get man back. Because from that point, gang, man was away from God. And so uh, God gives man and woman clothing. So they Adam and Eve sinned, and they tried to clothe themselves. Basically, they tried to handle sin on their own terms, with their own ability, their own understanding, their own knowledge, their own skills, and they had just had a little leaf, you know. Oh, we got some trees, got some bushes. All right, I'm going to try to put a little leaf over here and over here because they have the knowledge of evil now. So they say, oh, this is evil, this is evil. Why are you like that? You don't have anything on? Oh, this is bad. God didn't intend them to have the knowledge of evil, but now they do, so they try to cover it up. But this shows even here in Genesis that only God can handle sin. Only God can truly, fully take care of it because he stopped and he, he took animals and made skins for them to cover them, to cover their sin. And so... Like it says there, and so and then after that, God gives instruction to the man. God didn't just say, man, now you're banished, and that's it. He said, no, still multiply, still go on the earth. You still have dominion, still continue uh, to exist. And then at that point, after there, then Adam and Eve, then they begin to have children. And now with my name being Cain, I get a lot of Cain and Abel jokes. And it's just, I've been worn out of Cain and Abel jokes. Some say, oh, is your brother Abel? Or, no, where's, where's your brother? I'm like, his blood is crying, you know, from the ground. Just like, stop. I've heard too many. I've heard probably as many as you can do. Uh, especially when I went to Bible college, oh, I was terrible. Now you got these kids learning about the Bible and they're coming from this angle and that angle with the joke. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Just call me Brother Carl. Just leave it at that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, so Adam and Eve, they have two sons called Cain and Abel. And now you can even see here that if someone sins, a parent or someone, then it kind of trickles down. There's a sort of effect. Uh, we'll kind of see that in the Old Testament, too. When Israel stopped serving God and then the next generation didn't know anything about God, then they didn't serve God, and they followed idols and stuff, it kind of continues. So then Cain gets a little jealous. He says, well, you offered a sacrifice to God. Again, here's another uh, teaching. We're not supposed to compete with one another. I don't look at you and say, whoa, you're up there on the platform, this and that. That doesn't matter. What do you know about God? What is the word of God in you? Are you witnessing people? Are you, what are you doing? Are you spending time in God's presence? Are you hungering for him? That's what matters, not if you're on pulpit or not. Um, just using that example. But we ought not to compare ourselves to one another. That's one of God's teaching. We find it even here because he compared himself to Abel, and he was so mad and so wrathful that he killed him. First murder, boom. Uh, probably NBC News. Woo, first murder. Cain kills Abel. Now, I didn't have any news channel back then, but just kind of making it a little more funny, a little more interesting. And so God says, oh, I hear this blood. I hear this blood of this pure man. He did it right in my sight, and he, you killed him? Oh, why did you do this? So then uh, God makes Cain a vagabond. He says, wherever you go, you're going to grow stuff. You're not going to plant. 
wherever you try to settle, it's just not going to work. And he said, oh, my punishment is too much to bear, and on and on. So from that time on, the earth gets extremely wicked. Um, probably more wicked than it is right now. It, it was so wicked that God said, I'm going to destroy everything. The Bible says that um, the thoughts of man were evil continually. Continually, nonstop. They say New York is a city that never sleeps. Nonstop, evil, evil thoughts continually. Imagine that. Every single human being, evil thoughts. Oh, it's not good. And so then God got grieved. He's like, oh, why did I even make this creation in my own image? They ate the knowledge, of, they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and now they keep choosing evil all the time. Oh, why did I even create this creation? Why did I create them? And then so I say here, is God grieved, is God grieved with you? How you think, how you act, how you live on the earth? Is he grieved with how we're living, with how we are existing? That's his thoughts to think about. But Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. Somehow, some way, there was one man on the earth that said, I'm not going to think evil continually. I don't know how he did it. Every single human being. Imagine there's 7 billion people, that one person, so there's 6 billion, you know, 999,000. One person or one family decides, I'm going to follow God. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to think evil continually. So thank God for Noah. If it wasn't for Noah, God was going to destroy every living thing. And so Noah, he was a man that decided to obey God, to build a relationship with God, to follow God's instruction no matter how evil or wicked his environment was. And now we can follow God's instruction and keep his commandments anywhere and in any environment. We can do the same. Uh, I got three examples here. Noah, he was alone with his family on the earth. No one else survived the flood. Nobody survived the flood except Noah and his family. He was surrounded by evil and wickedness and darkness all around him, yet he still chose to follow God and God's instructions. So with that, we got no excuse. We can't use excuses to say, oh, I have this excuse so I can't pray that much. Or I have this excuse so I can't study that much. When we go to judge by God, he's going to say, did you pray? Did you study? Did you know me? Do I know you? Do we have a relationship? Were you longing for my presence? Oh, but this and this and that. We're, we're going to be speechless. And so Noah is a, is a prime example. He didn't, get, he didn't use excuses. He still served God. And then he was saved in the end from the flood because of his relationship with God. He was saved because of it, and his whole family was saved. Another example is Daniel. Daniel was in an evil and wicked kingdom. Israel got conquered, and the Jews got taken out of their own land into a strange land that had strange gods and worshipped all this and that with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel still prayed three times a day. He, he, it said that there was like no sin or evil was found in Daniel. He was perfect, and then people got jealous and threw him in the lion's den and this and that. He was an upright man. He was a pure man in an evil environment. And us, we're the example. We can keep God's commandments in this world today in an environment of sin, evil, darkness, wickedness, adultery, uh, new ageism, pleasure, emotionalism, things of this world. I can go on, on, on. We can still be faithful to our creator anywhere and in any environment in North America and South America and Asia and Africa and Europe on any island. There's believers all over the world. So we can do the same thing. And so God says, all right, no, you're, you're, my, you're my man. I'm going to take you and your family, and I'm going to start over. And then 
as you are notes, God starts over with man and woman. He completely hit, like, hits the reset button. The waters were so high they covered the mountains. Now you got to get this picture. Like sometimes we read a story and we just read it. But sometimes think about it. Uh, in Psalms 1 it says, uh, you know, the blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the godly, but his delights in the law of the Lord. And he meditates. He thinks about the things of God day and night. So when you're reading a story, just think about it. Like because it's truth, it actually happened. So just think about the, the earth. The water is so high, it covered Mount Everest. All the mountains were covered. That's a lot of water. That's how much water was on the earth. It completely covered the earth. Crazy, intense. And every living uh, thing that had life died, except Noah and his family and those animals that were in the ark. God saved a few. And so Noah and his wife, and then Japheth, Shem, and Ham, and their wives, those are Noah's sons. And so, in a sense, we're all brothers and sisters even in the church, outside of the church, because we all come from Noah's family. They're either from Noah, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. That's it. That's it. You got four guys to come from, and that's, that's it. Um, obviously, where we are right now, the, the tree is so broken, and this and that, and you got this one over here, this one over here. It's kind of more complicated. You get an ancestry test. Um, you're 10% this, 1% this, 2% this. I'm like, how am I 2% this? That makes no sense. 2%? <laughs> what in the world? I'm 100% a person, so I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. But somehow down the line, I'm 2% this. So I don't know, I guess. And so God starts over with mankind. And then God chooses Abraham for a covenant. So until Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't really talk to man about a covenant, uh, except with Noah. He, he said, you know, I'm not, I'm going to save you. And they said, hey, now I'm going to have this rainbow now in the sky. So I'm never going to destroy the world with water again. That's why we have rainbows. It's not because it's this scientific phenomenon, because God made it. He said, I'm putting a rainbow in the clouds, so you know my covenant is I'm not going to destroy the earth again with water. I'm going to leave you all alone. I'm going to burn you with fire and brimstone later on, but, you know, that's later on in Revelation and this and that. But water, I'm not going to do it with water. And so, but after Adam and Eve, God didn't really have a covenant with us, really. Um, he had with Noah a little bit, but after Noah, eh, they're just living and multiplying. That was it. And then God decides, you know what, I'm going to choose Abraham. And basically, from then on, the whole Old Testament is about Abraham's family, uh, Abraham's seed, you could say, uh, his descendants. And so God cho chooses Abraham for a covenant, is a covenant of circumcision uh, when, you know, children are born. And he said, you're gonna, your, your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea, like the stars for multitudes. There's going to be so many people that come from you. Abraham, you try to count the sand. You ever try to count the sand, put, put some sand in your hands, it just goes down, down, down. There's no way you're going to count the sand. You can't even count the sand on the beach, let alone want that the sand in the ocean, under the water. It's not happening. So God is saying this thing is going to be huge. This is a giant thing that I'm going to do through you. And then also a covenant of a specific land, promised land, you might hear it. And then God speaks to Abraham about a son, uh, son Isaac. And, you know, you know, Abraham's old. His wife is old. And like, I'm not going to have a son. I'm like, this old. Like, what? This and that. And God said, I told you. I promise you, you're going to have a son. And when God says something, he backs it up. Uh, we say something, sometimes we back it up, sometimes we don't. We have good intentions, and sometimes we don't come through. But God backs up his word. You'll read In the Old Testament, God always backs up his word. He promised uh, Israel, you know, like Abraham's seed. And, and they're not even obeying God. He, but he still had a promise to Abraham. So I got to find some Jews. I got to find a remnant and keep this promise. God always keeps his word. He backs it up. And he backs it up with action. Not just, oh, you know, I'll think good thoughts towards you. No, he backs up with action. And so that was wonderful. 
And we ought to live that way as well, back up our words with action, not just use frivolous words. So he speaks to, Ab- God speaks to Abraham about his son Isaac that's going to continue this uh, and, and go into this promise, this covenant with God. And so this is the heir of the covenant with God and the promised land. And then God says, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to test you, Abraham. I'm, I just want to make sure, Abraham. I know I chose you out over all the world, but I'm just going to make sure. Why don't you take Isaac and go up on a mountain and sacrifice him? Now, you got to think about this for a minute, too. Like, what? You've been promised this son. You've been waiting years and years and years, and you finally got this son. woo got this son. Got the crib going. Got all the clothes and everything. Got so many diapers. Better get some diapers now. And then all of a sudden, God says, now take this child now. He's this young man and sacrifice him. Like, what? That's my promise. What about the sand? What about the stars, you know, in the, in the sky? God, what about the sand and sea? That's not what Abraham did. It said the next day, the next morning, early in the morning, Abraham got up and said, we're going. And he went right to the mountain, went right to the place, and he laid it all down. And then his son's like, I see this wood. Uh, I see this is a sacrifice going on. Where's the lamb? God, I mean, a father, where's the, where's the ram going? And Abraham said, don't worry about that. God's going to give a sacrifice. He'll give a ram. Little did Isaac know he was going to get sacrificed, but anyway. So Abraham's going to do it, and God says, no, now I know that you are faithful. Now I know. And so God tempts, really, it's that, it's, that word means test. God tested Abraham. So I'll ask the question, has God tested us? The more important question, did we pass the test? God wants to know if we fear him, and he wants to make sure. Like I said, God backs up his word. He doesn't play around. So he wants to know if we're not playing around, if we're serious. And then in Genesis 22, 11 through uh, 13, um, basically God will give the provision that is needed when we pass the test of obedience and fearing God. God knows what he's doing. He just wants to see if we are 100% serious with him and what he has said, if we're going to follow through. And so this happens. And then God continues uh, his covenant and this promise through Abraham uh, or to Abraham through Jacob. So you got Abraham, the beginner. Then you got Isaac, Abraham's son. Then you got Jacob, Isaac's son. And so uh, this covenant, it goes through multiple generations, multiple, multiple generations. And so Jacob, I'm not going to talk too much about him, but uh, um, an important thing is that his name was changed to Israel. Uh, his name was Jacob, Sir Planter, you know, liar, this comp- this type of stuff. Um, even from birth, you know, things were going on. He tried, he bought his brother's birthright. You know, you can study more about Jacob and Esau and that relationship. Um, but Jacob, his name gets changed to Israel. And so he ru- Jacob wrestles with a man. This is how it happened. He wrestles with this man. And apparently it seems like it was an angel of the Lord. Um, because when you read it, after Jacob wrestles this man, he says, Ah, oh, I've seen God face to face. Now, if you, if you wrestle with the man, I don't just wrestle with somebody and say, ah, I've seen God face to face after I wrestle with this man. Like, no, it was something notable. It was something uh, unique. It was something powerful, something divine. So it seems like it was God represented as an angel, and he was wrestling with them. Uh, how that happened, I'm not really sure, but that's what this is all about, to get your mind thinking, hey, I want to study this. I want to learn more about God's word. I want to understand more. I want to search the word of God. And so this Jacob, he mirrors uh, the woman in the New Testament that continues to ask the judge uh, for her for her uh, prayer request, for her petition. Because Jacob was wrestling this, this man, and he didn't stop. 
The man said, hey, the sun's going to come up. You know, I got to go. I got to get ready. And Jacob said, uh-uh, I'm still wrestling with you. I'm not going to stop until you bless me. I'm not going to stop till I get an answer. I'm not going to stop until I hear the voice of God. I'm not going to stop. I'm in a terrible situation. I need to hear the voice of God. I'm not stopping for anything. I don't care if the sun's coming up. I'm going to continue to wrestle with you until I get an answer. And that's the same thing like this woman and this, uh, that goes to the judge. Jesus uses this as an example of prayer. It's Luke 18, uh, verse 2 through 8. Let's go and turn there real quick. It says Luke 18, 2 through 8. Uh, and it says, and this is Jesus saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, didn't care about God, neither regarded man, didn't even care about man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard woman, yet because his, woman troubleth, his widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And so Jacob wrestling with this man is like this woman. So a few questions. Are you serious with God? Are you serious with God? Do you pray seriously? Like this woman, like Jacob, or is your walk with God casual? And the main point here is if you're truly serious with God, he's going to answer. When he knows you're never going to stop, he's going to answer you. There's nothing he can do. You're going to continue. Nothing can stop you. And so God's looking for that. He's saying, will I find faith? Will I find someone that believes me like that, that will ask me and not stop until they get it because they know I can do it? And my word it says I can do it. I said I can do it. I've given examples in the past, and they're asking for it, continually believing, believing every day, every day, every night, every day. Okay, they're not going to stop, so here you are. You have it. So that's, that's basically God's whole teaching on prayer. He says, ask, and you will receive. You got to seek. You got to keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. He used the example of the man late at night, you know, the man sleeping, and his friend comes, give me some bread, blah, 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 blah. Give me some bread, blah, blah, blah. It's midnight, man. Get out of here. Give me some bread. Blah, blah, blah. He's banging at the door. You better get up. <laughs> He's not going to stop banging at the door. God's saying, hey, be like that in prayer. Continue to ask me. Continue to ask with faith. Continue to believe. Continue to trust. Over and over and over and over. Day after day after day after night after night. Ah, now you will receive it now. I can't stop you. You're going to come and continue to get to me. Maybe he wants, he's testing like Abraham, maybe. Um, I just think God wants to know if we're serious. Because um, I've tried to apply this principle, and I've been serious with God, and he, it doesn't take too long. You know, he answers. Maybe Daniel had to wait 21 days, but that's not that long. Uh, Abraham had to wait decades. I don't know about you. I don't got time to wait decades. This world doesn't have time to wait decades to get answers to prayer, to get souls saved. Don't have time like that. Do not have time. And so if we're serious, God will answer. He wants to answer us. It's not like God doesn't want to answer us. He's got all the goods, and he's just like, hmm. No, nah, I don't like your prayer. No, nah, wrong language. Nah, you're not that into it. No, he wants to give us the answer. He wants to help us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to be fruitful on the earth. But he just wants us to put in effort. And so as we continue, so again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then this man Jacob, like, whoo. The story about Jacob and how he had these 12 sons is a little interesting. Uh, you can read it for yourself. But he had 12 sons. 
And there's a list there. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Um, and so he has these 12 sons. And I'll just kind of stop here and give us a little more understanding. When you hear the phrase children of Israel, it's talking about Jacob. Again, his name was changed to Israel. And then his sons. He had 12 sons. So that's the children of Israel. Literally, it's his children. Um, and so also another name for them is just called Israel. Um, so they're usually called the children of Israel or just Israel. But it's just Jacob's 12 sons. And then, uh, you know, here in Genesis 49, 3 through 27, uh, Jacob blesses his sons. This is when Jacob is about to die. Now, I put this in here because you may be like, man, it's not that important. But you got to think, this is God's covenant, and this is sort of uh, the continuation of it. And now there's 12 sons. And each son, he says something about them. He says, you're going to have this, or oh, you're going to be a servant, or oh, this is going to be bad for you, or this is going to be good. And he's speaking to them. He's basically prophesying what's going to happen to them. And that's how it unfolds in the earth today. Uh, even if you look at him, uh, Shem, and Japheth, Noah's three sons. Now, the story of Noah, he was drunk after he got out the ark. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, he got drunk, and he was on clove. And one son walked up and said, oh, what's going on here? And he didn't help his dad. But the other two sons, they found out, and they went backwards, you know, put clothing on him. Ah, and they, they helped their dad. And But Noah remembered that one son. He said, you're cursed now. So, again, we all came from one of those families. Now you see how it's kind of important. So this whole family this from this man is cursed now, and he's going to serve these other two. Now every person that descended is going to serve the other two because that's what God said, or that's what Noah said, you know. So same thing with Jacob. Uh, Jacob is prophesying to these 12 different individuals, and whatever bloodline, you know, comes down from them, these things are going to happen to them. So that's just a little, uh, little bit there. So Jacob dies, but the covenant of Abraham is still in effect. It continues with his sons. And so this is a long thing, a thing uh, long in the process. But this is what the Old Testament is talking about, this family that God chose to try to work with. And as we'll see as we get to different books, yeah, it didn't work out too well. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. And so, like I said, they're called the children of Israel. So from here on, God's relationship with the children of Jacob, the children of Israel. So from basically about... Uh, and the Genesis on, it's all about Israel. What happens to Israel, who they're interacting with. Again, it's his family God wants to work with. And then we get to this man called Moses. Uh, God calls Moses to deliver and lead Israel, uh, the, or Israel's children, out of bondage to Egypt. Now, for us, how this applies to us, Jesus is that Moses to us that's leading us out of darkness, out of the world, out of sin, out of Egypt, as it were. And into his marvelous light, into truth, God's covenant, the promised land, heaven itself. And so, uh, basically, Jesus is that type of Moses. He came to deliver us. And we were just singing about it and this and that, like, oh, it's wonderful. We were so far away. We were bound in sin and darkness. And God said, I'm still going to reach for you. Like, oh, I didn't even know you. I didn't even care about you. I didn't want this covenant. I didn't want your word. I was serving other gods. But he still, he said, no, no, come over here. And for me, anyway, I said no for a long time, 19 years. I was like, mm-mm, no, 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 no. And then finally I said, yes, this is, this is it. This is truth. And so back to Moses. Uh, so God, he delivers Israel out of Egypt. At this point, uh, Israel, uh, Jacob's family went to Egypt because there's this great uh, famine in the land and there's no food except Egypt. And then, you know, you got the story of Joseph and this and that. And that's how the family got reunited in Egypt. 
But then the Pharaoh came up that didn't know Joseph, and then whoo, he said, oh, you Jews, you're going to be slaves. You're going to build my stuff that I want to build. Ooh, I'm going to build this building. Go ahead, you Jew. Go ahead. You're going to build it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all of you and make you as my slaves. And it was very hard for them. And they started crying out to God, like, oh, what's going on? This is terrible. Why are we in slavery? And God said, okay, I'm going to deliver you out. And he chose Moses. And so we can even use Moses and talk about the calling of God. Uh, God came to Moses in a burning bush. Um, you can even think of that, too. You say, oh, it's a burning bush. That's cool. You pass him like, what? A bush was burning on fire? And it was just a regular old bush? Nothing happened? Like, that's very interesting. So anyway, so now you could talk about when God calls. God called Adam. He called Noah. He called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samuel. He called Saul. He called David. He called the apostles. And God's calling us. He's calling us. He wants this relationship with us. He's calling us. So I just say, answer the call. Answer the call. And so with God, we can do everything that he tells us we can do. Uh, Moses didn't really believe too much. He said, oh, God, I can't talk. I can't do this. I got no ability. I got no degree. I got no talent. Oh, I'm just a, I'm just a little old man. I, I can't do this. I can't speak and lead a nation. God said, didn't I make your mouth? Got a point there, God. You did make my mouth. Didn't I make speech and this and that? Of course. So sometimes God will tell us to do something or call us in something that is beyond our ability, and we can't even imagine how it's going to happen. That's good. So God gets all the glory. Just lean on him and trust on him and follow him. Do you think maybe a pastor that even started church in here, he said, oh, it's going to be wonderful, it's going to be great. No, someone had to stay here and had to war. Someone had to pray. Someone had to fast. Someone had to seek God. Someone had to get up here and preach the gospel even if people left or people came. Someone had to continue and to continue and to continue. It wasn't easy, but they did it because God said, hey, I want a church in your brain. I want to reach the souls of the city. And that's for every city that has a church or country even. Because sometimes God calls us to do something that's really great and big and huge. That's good, but don't have lack of faith. Don't say you're unqual- you're disqualified. God's telling you you are qualified. He's calling you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you the training. He's going to give you the teaching. He'll give you the leadership you need. He'll give you the resources. Just be faithful and continue to follow him. And that's what happened to Moses. And then we kind of we get to the Red Sea crossing where finally they're getting out of Egypt. And, you know, you can go through all that whole thing. Um, and that sort of likens unto our being baptized in Jesus' name, going through that water, being baptized in Jesus' name, un- out of sin, into the promised land on the way over there, on our way to heaven. And so after they get out uh, of Egypt, God gives his instructions to Israel on how to exist on the earth. So he gives them instructions. You think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God breaks it all down. He creates the tabernacle, a place where he wants to meet with man. He wants to actually physically meet with man. And so, but there is 40 years wandering, wandering, wandering in the wilderness. Where are we going? I don't know where we're going. We came out of Egypt. Ah, I want some, I want some leeks in Egypt. Oh, I want some, you know, I want some good food. Or, oh, I'm so more comfortable in Egypt. Oh, we have the gold. We have the nice clothes. We're out here. We don't got water. Oh, this is terrible. Why are you bringing us out here, Moses? We're, we're going to die out here, Moses. We're not going to live. We're not going to survive. Why are you bringing me to this dry place, Moses? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? Why are you on this mountain for 40 days and 40 nights? Where is this man gone? He disappeared. Oh, we know we're going to make it. Care. Oh, no. 40 years was wandering around, wandering around. So our disobedience, our, our own murmuring, our complaining, our lack of belief in God's words, our lack of faith in God can cause us to wander in the wilderness. That's kind of how it applies to us. If we're doing those things, it can cause us to wander in the wilderness. And they wander for 40 years. It can cause us to miss out on God's promise. 
in God's covenant. And even it can even lead to our destruction, uh, ultimately, if we stay that way. Um, now you think of like backsliders and things like that. If we're just wandering, we're murmuring, we're complaining, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. Bitch, glad we got a building. There's people that got a little hut. Don't even got that. Don't even got shoes. And we sitting in comfy seats with the air conditioner. Like, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. This is about God. It's about reaching souls. It's about making it to heaven. Not about a purple chair. I can care less what color the chair is. It's a chair. It's a fire. And I can stand. I got legs. If I don't got wheelchair, I'm good. Give me some crutches. As long as I'm in God's presence, as long as I'm striving to make it to heaven, as long as I'm right with him. So, but they are complaining. Oh, I don't like this food. Oh, I don't like, th- what is this man, a little cracker? Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I don't want this, this bad water. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And what happened? Those people that didn't believe, they all died in the wilderness. You got to understand, God is continually progressing. Because you also have to understand, there's an end point. There's a destination. It's called when God comes, you know, we go up in the sky. So we're somewhere probably towards the end, it seems like, because there's, you know, things happening in the heavens. The, the sun, you know, has darkened. The, the moon has turned to blood many times, a whole lot of times the last couple of years. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's pestilence. There's so many diseases going on that really weren't before. Some rare, crazy ones, like you just go into water and you get, like, person drops dead. Like, what is going on? You got all these famines all over the place. You got hurricanes. You got volcanoes erupting. God saying, hey, I'm coming back. So God has a destination point, and he's continuing to walk towards that. Now, if you walk with him, you better walk with him. That's good. But if you don't, he's still going to continue. He has to because he has his word. And I say he always backs up his word. So he's going to keep walking until uh, today is the day. And so you don't have time to wander in the wilderness. You don't got time for that. I need to be step by step with God. Where's your foot going, Lord? Oh, right here. Oh, it's going right here. I shouldn't take that job. I should go here. Oh, I should stay here and do this. I should do that. That's just more important. But these people, they didn't care about that. They're wanting more of the comforts, you know, or focusing on the earthly things. Um, and they missed out. They completely missed out. And then a, a new generation that didn't know anything, that didn't know what happened, then they were able to go into the promised land. And so then after Moses dies, then you have a man called Joshua. And Joshua comes and takes his place. So God tells Joshua to lead, to take, to bring Israel into the promised land. Again, Abraham, God, God promised Abraham, and this is Abraham's family, his seed. Uh, yeah, the, the covenant of God with Abraham, his seed, the children of Israel. Now, but you got to understand something. It wasn't just cleared out land for sale, and there was nothing there. There was no buildings. It was, it, the grass was so tall because no one was been. No, there was a, people were living there. The enemy actually occupied the land. The enemy was in the land. You're like, what? You're going to give me this promised land? And now I got I to fight? Oh, I don't want this. This is crazy. And they're so big and tall and strong. I don't know about this, Lord. Are you, are you sure about this? Are you sure? You know, then you start doubting. You start being fearful. Same thing with us. God will give us something and say, hey, here it is. And we look like, ooh, that's how you want me to get it? That's a little too hard. That's a little too uncomfortable. That's a, I got to get out of my comfort zone. I got to get out the box. Oh, I don't want to do that, God. But God's like, isn't this what you asked for? I told you I was going to give it to you. I've been speaking about this for years or days, whatever it is. And so they went to this place and they had to fight. They had to battle and fight the enemy, literally sword hand in hand, had hand in hand combat. And so I stopped and say, we have to fight too. We have to fight too. We have to war a good warfare. We're supposed to fight a good fight. Uh, we're supposed to put on the armor of God, you know, the helmet of salvation. 
the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the one that's great about with truth, you know, the word of God, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're, we're supposed to have armor on. Then you pray, you know, in the spirit of God, we have armor. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places above the sky in the heavens. That's where our fight is. So we're in a war, too. So we have to fight. We must fight. And so uh, God himself, he came to destroy the works of our enemy, which was the devil. And the power that he really had was death. And God destroyed that as he rose from the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And then God is going to be triumphant in the end anyway. If you go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, I'm just going to turn there first real quick. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. Revelation 20 and 10. Oh, it's wonderful. I just get a little smile. It's like, oh, this is great. Like, woo, just gets me going. Revelation 20 and 10, and it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's done. That's it. Over. He's wreaking havoc down here. Sure, that's all right. He's done. He's finished. He's slowly dying. He's slowly going. He's, he's done. At the very end of it, he's going to be gone just like that, like he was never there. And so God's triumphant in the very end. But while we're here on this earth, we must continue to fight until we're reunited with Jesus. Because he's just not going to sit down and say, okay. You have the keys to the kingdom. You got power over me. You can raise the dead. You can heal sick people. Oh, this is wonderful. You can preach the gospel and everybody can be saved. Oh, I'm just going to sit back and just accept my fate. No. He's like a roaring lion. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's why we have to fight, at least for our own souls and the souls of this earth. That's why we got to pray for all the nations. We got to pray for this city. We got to pray for our family. Why? Because we're fighting. We're warring. This is a wrestle. This is a fight. And it's not flesh and blood against one another or against even unsaved people. It's not against that or them. It's against the influences of the spiritual realm that are kind of controlling them or they're choosing. Again, we have the knowledge of evil or good. This world is full of the knowledge of evil. Some good here and there. But the word of God, ah, that's always good. That's truth itself. That's God himself. But we have to fight. And so um, one time, uh, this quick testimony, uh, I was just like in God's presence, I believe. I was praying. And then all of a sudden I heard, if you stop fighting, you will lose. And I'm like, huh? I was like, question mark? What does that mean? So I wrote it on the whiteboard, if you stop fighting, you lose. I'm like, I don't get it. And I was like, oh, we stop fighting. We stop equipping ourselves. We stop taking out the sword. We stop putting off our shield. We take the helmet of salvation off. We put off the breastplate of righteousness, doing things right. Oh, we're going to lose because the enemy is going to come and destroy us. We're going to get overcome. We're going to get run out. My family is going to be destroyed. My marriage will be destroyed. My children will be destroyed if I don't fight. So I have to fight. I have to. If I don't, I'll lose. So we must fight. And then God says, don't worry about that. Because if I'm for you, it doesn't matter who's against you because they're all going down. They're all conquering. Because the devil's done at the very end anyway. And I have power over him. But you got to stay with me. You got to follow me. Follow my instructions. I know how I need to move. I know how I need to swing the sword. How I need to move the shield. And sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. God will say, oh, don't take this job or whatever. Or don't go over here. I don't. We'll look at that. But Lord, it's my career. Or Lord, you know, oh, this is important. This is my ambition. This is what I want to do. 
God knows what is best. Man, he sees everything. He hears everything. I think we should take advice from him. He knows he's the wisest, has the most knowledge, the most understanding. I mean, what more do you need? What more can you ask for? And now we have access to him completely and forever at any moment, at any given time. Oh, what more could he have done? What more do we need? Uh, I even say that God has given us everything that we need. We have his word. We even got it in print. I even put it on my phone. I could search it. I could just think of a word and boom, there it is. I have the sword of the spirit right there, my weaponry, my offensive weapon. I have that at my fingertips. I can have it in many different languages. I can get up and if I learn some Chinese, I can read it in Chinese. Or, you know, if I know a little Japanese, here I go. And I'm speaking the word. I'm preaching the word. The word is what saves. It transforms lives. We have the word. We have his name. In the Old Testament, they didn't know his name. They said this is the God that provides or the one, you know, that delivers. They didn't know who his name was. Uh, they had some letters, you know, uh, like YW, um, H, and all this and that. Uh, I'm adding a, I don't know all of them. I don't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, they had this, like, Hebrew letters that they would say as God, but they wouldn't even say it because they kept it very, you know, uh, yeah, very sacred. It was, it was divine. They didn't want to take his name in vain because that's what he said not to do. But we have his name, his name of Jesus. We can call him by name. In the New Testament, he said, you call me Jesus. Like, Mary, you're going to have a child. You better call me Jesus. Hey, Joseph, call me Jesus. Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, is your salvation now. Call me by my name. So he revealed his name in the New Testament. But they didn't know the Old Testament. Not only that, we have his spirit. We got his word. We got everything that he has said. We have his name so we can call him and talk to him by name. And we have him with us. I don't know what else he could do. I don't know what else he could do. He gave himself, he gave his word, and he gave his name. Not only that, he gave one another. We got the body of Christ. So now you, brother, I got God in you, and pastor's got God in him, and I got God in me. We get together, we start praying. Oh, it's over. We're starting the war now. This is good. We're in unified. That's it. It's over. And so we have everything that we need and even more. But we have to fight, and we can overcome with God. And so as I'm kind of moving along here, uh, go back to Joshua. Uh, it's a sad thing that happens with Abraham's family. After Joshua dies, they just they leave the things of God. After that leader passed away, he moved on, they just stopped. They said, ah, I'm going to the world. I'm going to go to parties. You know, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go to amusements. I'm going to go here. I'm uh, just, I'm not going to be thinking about the things of God. Praying, you crazy. Read my Bible, definitely not. Studying, never. I'm not doing that. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to live how I want to live. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what they did. And then uh, that's in Judges chapter 20 and verse 10. Just going to read this really quick. Because basically from here to the end of the Old Testament, it's about getting Abraham's family back to where God wants them to be. But this is like the turning point right here. When Joshua dies, it just, in a sense, it all goes downhill from there. Uh, and so that's Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 10. And he says, For we have heard uh, how the Lord dried up. Da, da, da. Uh, I'm not sure this is the right one. But anyway. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. Not Joshua 2. Judges chapter 2. Okay, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. Then you'll see what I'm saying here. Okay. And also, so this, this is Joshua after he died. And also all the generation that were gathered unto their fathers, 
And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they went and served Balaam. I'm not going to serve God. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. He took you out of sin, took you out of the world, took you out of heartache and pain and mistreatment and abandonment. <coughs> and followed after God, other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And then whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. I would say so. And so we will return to ruin and heartache if we choose to leave God, just like they did. We're going to go right back into destruction. If we choose to leave God or no longer choose to follow his words. Uh, eh, I don't like that one too much. I got to love my enemies. Eh, I'm going to move that out. Be careful. You're going away from the things of God. Stay with God. God's word makes no sense in this world. Why? Because it's not from this world. It's from a different world. It makes no sense, no logical sense. You're like, what? I got to bless my enemies? So you're stabbing me, but I got to bless you somehow. Oh, Lord, you got to help me with this one. I don't know. It makes no sense to this world. It makes no sense whatsoever. But it's because it's from a different world. And God wants us to live on this world like that world. Because that's where we're going to go anyway. He wants us to exist that way down here. So there's a wrestle. Yeah, there's a war. Yeah, there's an adversary. Yeah. But you got his spirit. Yeah. You got power. Yeah. You got his word. Yeah. You got the weaponry. Yeah. You got other people. Yeah. So it can be done. It's definitely possible. But we must be careful. We must be careful not to leave the things of God. And so after that, now Israel, they don't only really have a leader. So now it's the time of the judges. So now God raises up uh, different judges to lead Israel. Uh, basically, Israel would sin against God. God would put them into slavery, you know, or someone would come and conquer them. A judge would come and try to deliver them out or try to direct them and lead them in the ways of God. But they still really didn't listen. And then you go from judges to Samuel. Um, Samuel was a judge himself. He was also a prophet. But here, even in his time, Israel is still not obeying and following God's word. You can think of this group of people. They know about God. Like, what? You are Pentecostal. I know you experienced baptism in Jesus' name, born of the water of the spirit. And what is wrong with you right now? What is happening? Come over here. Come on. Get line up back with God. Hey, you ought to come on Sunday. And uh, I don't want to do that. And back and forth, back and forth. Basically, from now until the last prophet, Malachi, that's what Israel does. They're doing this little thing right here. Oh, I love God today. Oh, I'm serving this God over here. You know, this is wonderful. Oh, Lord, please get me out of this terrible time. I'm getting also oppressed by this enemy. Oh, get me out. And God says, all right, I'll get you out. You got a promise. You got the covenant. Abraham, see, I got to get you out. And then I get out. Woo, I'm out of that trouble, Brother Andres. Now I'm feeling good. Now I can do what I want now. Oh, yeah. Get back get into it again. They can fall into trouble. Oh, Lord, you got to save me. You got to save me. Doesn't that sound like some people today probably? It's ridiculous. Why do you want to live on a roller coaster where you can just climb the mountaintop and go to heaven? I'm going to just make my way up. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. But they're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Again, are you serious with God? Is your walk with God just casual? No, it needs to be serious. You need to be a made-up mind. And then after that, it goes to the time of the kings. 
So we got to understand, God didn't want Israel to have a king. Israel wanted a king because they saw other nations had kings. They said, ooh, you got this program in your church? I need to have this. No, no, no. Follow God's plan. What does God say? I'm your king. I'm your everything. I'm your leader. I'm going to guide you myself. I'm going to lead you myself. I will provide for you. I will protect you. But he said, all right, Samuel, I'm going to go and, and you know, I'm going to give them a king, Samuel. And we'll just go there real fast in uh, 1 Samuel um, chapter, chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. Just going real quick, 5 through 9. And it says, and he said unto them, behold, thou art old, and thy sons will not walk in thy ways. This is the people talking to Samuel. Samuel's children need to follow God. That's besides the point. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Let the thing displease Samuel. And when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so, they, so do they also unto thee. And so they asked for a king. But then God told Samuel to, hey, tell him what it is to have a king. And then in verse 10, Samuel said and told all the words to the Lord, you know, uh, unto the people to ask him of a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. So Samuel's talking to the people. You want this? This is what's going to happen to you. He will take your sons and appoint them for, your, for himself. He w- for his chariots and for his horsemen. And some shall run before the chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. He will take your fields and your vineyards and your oliveyards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He's going to take your men's servants and your maidservants, and your goodliest young men, and your, you know, your animals, your asses, and put them to his work. You see, he, he's going to take, he's going to take. So we have to learn here. Be cautious what you ask God when you're in disobedience. Be very cautious. They asked the king, and it was terrible. They lost their children. They lost their money. They lost their field. They lost their possessions just because they wanted to be like another nation. That's a high cost. That's a very high cost unnecessary. God was their king. And so I just want to make that point. It's very important. And then after, you know, Samuel's time, then God says, okay, I'm going to give you a king, like I said. And then the first one was King Saul. Then you had King David. And then you had King Solomon, the first three kings. Um, And then there's the rest of the kings. There's many kings. So you also have to understand, now there was a time when Israel, Abraham's family, they were divided. Some people said, hmm, we're going to go to the north. And we're going to build us a kingdom. Hmm. We're going to go to the south, and we're going to build us a kingdom. Wait, we need a king down here, right in the south. Hmm. Or up north, you know, you know how you do. We need a king up here too. Doesn't that sound like America? Hmm. Going down here in the south. Hmm. Bless God, going over here. Hmm. We're in the north. Oh yeah, we're going to come over here. Now we're going to battle civil war. Ridiculous. Why are you doing that? Same thing with Israel. This is our own family. <laughs> Same thing with civil war. Nonsense. And so they had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom now. So they were split. They were divided. We're going over here and we're going over here. Let that not be like our church or let that not be like your family. Work together. Be unified. Follow God's plan. 
And as you see, though, as you slowly move away from God, bad thing after another, after another, after another, it just begins to happen and it just runs rampant. And so Israel had all these different kings and some kings followed God, but most of them didn't follow God. Most of them served all the gods of the world and all around them. <coughs> and so it was not a great time. The time of the kings was, was terrible. It was not good. I mean, even David himself had many failures, even though he's a man after God's own heart. And so now we're moving on now to Ezra and Nehemiah. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they were about restoring uh, Abraham's children back to God. They said, come on, we got to go back. They were sinning, so Jerusalem got completely destroyed. You could say New Britain was destroyed. This church building was destroyed. There was no walls or nothing here. It was just, oh, it was looking terrible. Stuff was collapsed, lapsided. It was bad. And they said, hey, what are we doing? We're away from God. Come back to God. So Ezra, he, he helped to rebuild the temple, the house of God. He said, hey, we got to restore this. We got to get back to God. And Nehemiah helped rebuild Jerusalem. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they worked to bring Israel back to God. They were crying out, these great men. They were, they were crying out to God, praying, interceding for the people. You want to read a good prayer by intercession, read Nehemiah. Read Nehemiah, I think, chapter 1 or 2. He's crying out. He says, Lord, our forefathers have sinned. We've done so wicked against you. But, oh, Lord, you know, have mercy on us. Help us. Help us to return. Great example of praying, of interceding, of crying out. And that's what we need to do for the people of this world, for our families, even for ourselves. We all need help. And so that's what's going on with Ezra and Nehemiah. And then you get to, I just call it the books of wisdom. You got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Solomon. And so Job, he remained faithful to God through pain and suffering. It's not an excuse. If you're going through pain and suffering, look at Job. Ooh, he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his family. His wife was against him. He lost all his substance, his job, his ability to work. He lost everything. He still said, I'm still going Serve God. I'm still going to be faithful to God. I doesn't care. I don't care. You can do whatever you want to me and my stuff. I'm serving God. And so he's a great example. And then Psalms, you got praise, thanksgiving, understanding, a lot of wisdom in Psalms. And then Proverbs, it's all about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. If you want knowledge, you want understanding, you want wisdom, you read, you read Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 tells you it's like a table of contents and what it's about. And it's all about getting wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And then Ecclesiastes. Oh, that, that's a little bit about wisdom, but the main emphasis is the last uh, chapter there at that verse right there. Basically, it's Solomon talking about all the good things in the world and it's how wonderful it is and great. And he says this. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter of existing on this earth, of living a worldly life, of living in sin. Let me tell you the conclusion of the whole matter. He said it's terrible. It's not what it was. I experimented to try to figure it out. But he says this. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of God. We just did that. We'd be fine. We'd be good. But we're so worried about the next phone or this or that or, you know, I'd go on and on. Fear God and keep his commandments. And then, as sort of coming to a close, then after that, you have the time of the prophets. Now, the prophets, they were intense because, like I said, God backs up his word and he doesn't mess around. He wanted Israel to, to follow him, to keep the covenant, keep the commandment, like he wants us to follow him and keep his word and fear God and love him. And do what he says. And so he used men to be an ambassador of him, to be a representative uh, to Abraham's family. And so uh, some people are breaking them up to major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, basically, some have more books um, st or more chapters in their books rather than others. Um, but the major ones, they sort of had uh, more um, 
powerful experiences with God. Ezekiel gets this great vision of the Lord. Same with Isaiah uh, and Daniel as well, Jeremiah. They had these great experiences with God, uh, very notable. And they were all faithful men. And it was hard. They are in a wicked environment. Their own family's not even serving God. They were trained to serve God. They knew God. They understood, and they still weren't. And they had to deal with that. And they had to do a lot of interesting things. And then the minor prophets is Hosea to Malachi, just to end there. And then what's notable is the book of Joel is what Peter used to preach the first message ever of the church. He took the old prophet. He took a prophet. And so the prophets spoke of destruction. They spoke of terror and for Israel for their sin against God. They said, hey, it's going to be destruction for you. Oh, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be gruesome. It's going to be terrible because you sinned against God. But they also spoke of hope for those. It was for Israel to repent and turn and follow God's word. That's how it is today. And another key point by the prophets is that some of them spoke of a Messiah. They spoke of a Savior that's going to come, a deliverer of Israel that would save Israel. And so as I'm coming to the close, Jesus is that Messiah that the prophets talked about. He's God manifested in the flesh. He did deliver Israel. Um, only a few Jews believed on him, though, when he was here manifested in the flesh. But you also have to remember, the first souls that were born of the water and of the spirit were Jews. They were of Abraham's family from all over the world. And then also, we Gentiles were delivered too. I'll just kind of go here real quick as I'm kind of winding things up. So basically, Gentile is you're not a part of Abraham's family in a sense or of that covenant, you know. But God didn't just stop at the Jews and say, only Jews will be saved. He said, no, this is for everyone. And it says in Acts 10, verse 44 to 48, And while Peter, a Jew, saved Jew, saved child of Abraham, yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. This is Cornelius. He's Gentile. He's a faithful man. And they of the circumcision, they that were Abraham's, you know, covenant of his family, which believed, they were astonished. They're like, what? What is going on? As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also, the ungodly, that had all these different gods, Serving different gods, not caring about things of God, but this man Cornelius knew a little bit. Also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter, then answered Peter, can any man forbid them water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then prayed that and then they asked, you know, to stay a couple more days. And so we were delivered too. God saved the, he saved Israel. He saved us. Now everyone can enter in now. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. doesn't matter. Every living human being, you can enter in. And that's what, God, that's what God did. And it's so wonderful. It's so glorious that God did that. It's wonderful. Even when he was here, a manifest in the flesh, he said, I got to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. I got I to gotta honor my word. I got to keep my word. But I'm still opening up to everyone, to the whole world. Every tongue, every tribe, every kindred, everyone can enter in. And so, as I'm coming to a close right now, at the very end, the Old Testament, it closes with 400 years, about 400 years of silence. God didn't speak through a prophet. God didn't try to reach out. It's just it's quiet. Silence. You just live, you know, your life with whatever understanding you have about God or not. But roughly, after roughly 400 years, Christ is born our Savior, our Deliverer, our Almighty Creator is born after all that time of silence. 
And so the Old Testament, it's, a, it's important. It's extremely important. It's our foundation for the New Testament. And as I, I'm closing with this last verse here in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19 through 20. This just uh, emphasizes how important the Old Testament is. <clears throat> and it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so the Old Testament points to Jesus, and the New Testament just points back to Jesus. And that's what we are. We're a New Testament. But it would help us greatly if we understood the Old Testament. That's the foundation of God's relationship with mankind. God did a lot of things in the Old Testament that he's still doing in the New Testament. A lot of the principles are the same, exactly the same. And so as we're closing up here, may God bless your studies of the Old Testament as you're blessed with the truth that lies within his pages. It's not just an old, boring thing. It's wonderful. It's alive. It's God's word. And it's wonderful. And it can help us today. So you're dismissed.